Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to continue our Advent sermon series there. Uh, The word Advent means coming. And so during the Advent season, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus at his birth. Uh, The world calls this Christmas. Christians call it the Incarnation. Uh, And the verse that we're going to look at, we're going to focus in on today, is one of the clearest descriptions of the Incarnation of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Uh, We're going to read all of Isaiah 7, 1 through 16, because I want you to get the context. I think that's important. And then we'll hone in on Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, The title of this morning's sermon is Behold. I want us to behold the birth of Jesus together. The word behold is not one we use commonly. It means to focus, to meditate on it. Uh, Imagine a a child that's got a newborn baby in front of them, and they are gazing into the eyes of that child. They're beholding that child. What I want us to do this morning is to behold the birth of Jesus together. So let's do that. Uh, Let's read Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz. You and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezan and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as a king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria." And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word. It stands forever. Let's give our attention to it. 
Uh, what signs tell you that Christmas is coming? Uh, I went to Starbucks on my birthday on August 30th, and they already had their holiday flavors out in August. I thought, there's a sign. Christmas is coming. And then I think it was in October, I started getting emails from Walmart saying Black Friday. It was like, I'm pretty sure Black Friday is in November, but apparently Black Friday started in October this year or something like that. It was a sign that Christmas was coming. And then, you know, in like November, all the Christmas movies start on all the channels playing. I mean, I guess if you're watching Hallmark, you can probably just watch it year round, right? All you Hallmark Christmas movie fans out there, right? Uh, Whenever we went to uh, my mom's house in Coweta for Thanksgiving, uh, when we left, none of the Christmas lights were on. And then we came back, Thanksgiving evening, my neighbors had all their Christmas lights on at the house. Right? That was a sign. Christmas is here. Thanksgiving is over. Right? Uh, for Christians, one of the great signs that Christmas is here is the nativity scene. Right? The, 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 the figurines of Mary and Joseph, the angels, the wise men, the animals, all huddled around baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's a sign that Christmas is coming, right? Well, hundreds and hundreds of years uh, before any of this, before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied that this sign would come. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes here explaining what was going on in verses 1 through 12 of this passage, because I'm guessing you probably haven't read it, and you probably don't understand it. But this is what was happening, right? Uh, God's people, the Israelites at this time, were split into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and they had one king, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, that had another king. Okay, So the northern kingdom, Israel, was partnering with Syria, and they were going to go to war with Assyria another country, and they wanted Judah, the southern kingdom, to partner up with them to go to war with Assyria. But Judah's king, Ahaz, wouldn't do it. He wouldn't join them. So what they were going to do is they were going to wage war against Judah, overthrow Ahaz, and set up their own king that would help them. Right? Hopefully you're following me. But Ahaz didn't want to do that, so he was going to partner with Assyria, And they were going to fight against them together, right? And so what God did was God came to Ahaz and he says, look, Ahaz, they're not going to win. They are going, you are going to defeat them. They are going to be defeated. They are ruled by men and their power comes from men and they're going to be overthrown. Stand firm in your faith and you will remain secure. And he says, I want to show you just how secure it is. I want you to ask me for a sign and make that sign as high as the heavens or as deep as Sheol. And Ahaz refused to ask for the sign and he used some pious religious language. He pulled the verse out of context in the Old Testament like all the heretics do. And he said, I'm not going to test the Lord. Who would test the Lord? When really he, he had his own plan that he wanted to carry out, right? And so what God does is he says, okay, you don't want to ask for a sign? 
I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Despite his unbelief, God promised a sign to strengthen his faith and to assure him of salvation. Right? So what does that have to do with us? <laughs> like, like Ahaz and like Judah and like all the Israelites, we struggle with unbelief. We experience fear in this life. And that fear leads us to unbelief. And that unbelief leads us to disobedience. Unbelief is the sin underneath all of our sins of disobedience. So this morning, what we're going to do together is, I want us to behold this prophecy together. And what I'm praying will happen through the power of the Holy Spirit is that as we behold this prophecy and its fulfillment in Jesus, that the power of unbelief will be broken in our lives. That we're going to see that this birth is a sign that God has broken the power of unbelief. That he has given us his presence in the midst of our unbelief. And that he has paid the penalty for our unbelief. So that the sign of Jesus that we receive is a sign of hope and love and joy and peace. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the sign, Jesus' birth as the sign of rebirth, the sign of comfort, and the sign of victory. Kids, I'm going to reference a Christmas hymn a couple times. Listen for it. Here's a little Easter egg. Listen for it. And then try to tell me which Christmas hymn does it come from afterwards. Okay? So first I want us to do is behold this sign of rebirth. Verse 14 says, here's the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay? So I was thinking about this, this, this idea, the virgin shall conceive. Why does it have to be a virgin? What is God saying there? Well, to understand why it has to be a virgin, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. We have to go back to the beginning of the story. Right? God created man to live in relationship with him. He gave him one rule to keep. He said, you can eat from, the knowledge, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan came to him and said, are you sure God said that? And Adam doubted. He didn't believe God's promises, right? And he ate from that tree. At that point, sin entered the world. It entered Adam's line. And it started what we call original sin. And so because we all descend from Adam, we all inherited his original sin. His original sin was unbelief. He didn't believe in the promise of God. And so that sin of unbelief went through the line all the way to Ahaz. And that sin of unbelief continued down the line all the way to us. We inherited the sin of unbelief. And we act on the sin of unbelief. And at the end of the day, the sin of unbelief causes us to do what we want to do because we simply like to do it. Uh, I was talking with Shannon, uh, Shannon Hayes not long ago. And Shannon has the best stories and the best sermon illustrations because she's a pre-K teacher, 
right? And these these pre-gay kids, they don't hide anything, right? We're good at hiding our sin. They are not. It's just out there. So one day she's on the playground and she's got this little kid and he's throwing dirt, which seems harmless, but you know, dirt can hit people. It gets them dirty. It can hurt and that sort of stuff. So she goes to him and says, hey, please quit throwing the dirt. Then she goes away and a few minutes later, she looks back over. He's throwing dirt again. So she goes over. She's like, hey, you know, really, this, this can hurt people. It can get people dirty. Please don't throw the dirt. He says, okay, okay. So she goes off. She's doing her thing. She looks back over. He's throwing the dirt again. She goes back over and says, why are you throwing the dirt? I've already asked you not to do that. And I've told you what's wrong. Why, why do you keep doing this? And he says, I just like to do it. That's the power of original sin in his life and in our life. Is at the end of the day, we just like to do sin. We just don't believe that God's promises are good for us. And we act on that in disobedience in, in a myriad of different ways, right? The Bible says it is good to obey your parents. But we get afraid and we think, if I obey my parents, I'm going to miss out on all the fun with my friends. So we disobey him. The Bible says not to gossip because gossip destroys relationships. But gossip is this tasty morsel. That's what Proverbs tells us. And if I I don't gossip, right, then I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on a chance to, to push someone else down and to build myself up. And so we gossip. The Bible says that we're created for for healthy, uh, loving, intimate sexual relationships in the context of marriage, right? But we're afraid and we think, if I don't uh, engage in this sexual immorality, then I'm going to be immorality, then I'm going to be alone my entire life. And so we, we enter into that. Gospel tells us to give generously because money is not our idol, but we think that if I give generously, then I'm going to be insecure, that I'm going to lack something, that I'm going to be uncomfortable, and so we don't give as God has called us to give, right? The Bible tells us not to exasperate our children because it hurts their relationship with them, but we just think, if, if I don't perfect my kids, then they're not going to be perfect, and I'm not going to be perfect, and nobody's going to, everybody's going to see that we're not perfect. And so we ratchet down on our kids in unbelief. The Bible calls us to respect our husband and sacrifice for our wives, but we're afraid if, if we sacrifice for them, then they're not going to sacrifice for us, and we're going to miss out on something. And it's the sin of unbelief that leads to fear, leads to disobedience, and leads to all of these other sins. But what's happened here in the virgin birth is that God is breaking the cycle of unbelief caused by original sin. He's breaking that cycle. What, what is going to happen is that God is miraculously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, going to conceive uh, a child in the womb of Mary. And it's going to be Jesus, fully God, fully man, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's, since he, because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come from the line of Adam. And because he doesn't come from the line of Adam, he doesn't have that original sin. 
And so he can live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death that makes it possible to break the power of original sin in our lives. It makes it possible for you and I to be rebirthed and reborn. Uh, When when, uh, Nicodemus began hearing Jesus preach about the gospel of the kingdom, he came to Jesus at night and he said, Jesus, what do I got to do to get in the kingdom? How do I get in there? And Jesus said, what? You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? Like, how can I crawl in the womb and go through a second birth? And Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. You've got to be born by water and the spirit. Everyone who believes in Jesus for salvation is reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of our Christmas hymns speaks to this. It says, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And Paul tells us he saved us, that's Jesus, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who beholds Jesus in faith is reborn, and the power of original sin is broken in their lives. It's the first thing that we see in this passage. We see this this sign of rebirth that takes place in our lives. The second thing that we see is this sign of comfort. Verse 14 again, it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It's a preposition. It's God's favorite preposition. It's a relational term. You see, when Adam sinned in the garden, what was the first thing that he lost? It was God's presence. And then God pursued him in love. But then because of his sin, God had to kick him out of the garden and he lost God's presence again. And the story of the Old Testament is a story about God bringing his presence to his people. He met Abraham when he was lost pagan in the wilderness to be with him. He met his people in Egypt to be with them. He met his people in the tabernacle to be with them. He met his people in the temple to be with them. And through the birth of Jesus, God put on flesh and what? Tabernacled among us. He came to be with us. Calvin says it this way, John Calvin. The only begotten son of God clothed himself with our flesh and united himself to to us by partaking of our nature. He is therefore called God with us, or united to us. And we sing this in our Christmas hymns, and we sing, Christ by heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus came as a baby to be with us. When he, after his resurrection, we left in the Great Commission, what did he say? He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. When he prayed for his disciples in John 17, what, did he, what was his heart's desire? It says that he longed, he longed for he and the Father to be with us in glory. And Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 6, that by grace through faith, The spirit of Jesus is sent into our hearts that cries, Abba, Father. 
that through the Spirit, God is with us, even despite our unbelief, even in the midst of our unbelief, that God is with us. Ask yourself this. Think about it. You know this existentially. When you hurt, when a, when a child is hurt, what do they want? They want mommy. They want daddy. They want to be with them. Now, mommy and daddy, here's, sorry, guys, hate to break this to you. Mommy and daddy really can't do much most of the time, but we can be with you. When someone is grieving, what is the best thing that you can do with them? Be with them. Just sit with them, right? What's the, what's the worst form of punishment we can give someone aside from, from death? Isolation, solitary confinement, to not be with someone. So this sign, this sign of Jesus' birth is a sign that God has come to be with us. And he has come to comfort us in the midst of our deepest, darkest sadness. In the midst of our pain and suffering. That God is willing to move heaven and earth to be with us. Um, Dorothy Sayers was, um, in the 1930s, a great writer. And she wrote a book of detective novels about a man named Lord Peter Whimsey. Uh, she was in Britain. This was very popular. Uh, and if you read the novels, what you see is that, that Peter Whimsey is, he is a great detective, but he's single. He is lonely. And he needs help. He needs someone to come and be with him in the story. And so what happens about halfway through the series is there is a writer that shows up in the story. Her name's Harriet Vane. And she was uh, the first woman at Oxford. And she writes detective novels. And she just so happens to fall in love with Lord Peter Whimsey. It just so happens they get married and that she begins to take care of him. Well, Dorothy Sayers, she was a woman who graduated from Oxford she was a writer of detective novels. And what most people think what happened was is that she fell in love with this character and she saw this character's need that she had created and she wrote herself into the story to be with him, to help him. That's the story of the gospel. That God created us in love that he saw us in our sin and misery. And so through the virgin birth and the person of Jesus, he wrote himself into the story to be with us because he loves us to comfort us in the midst of our sin and our suffering. And so the birth of Jesus is a sign of God's presence that he is with us even in our unbelief. And so when we behold that baby Jesus, when we behold him, the infant, we can behold him in two ways. When we behold him in faith, it is a sign of comfort. It is a sign that God is with us. But when we, re- when we reject him and we don't see him in faith, it's a sign of judgment. It's a sign that we have re- rejected God's presence, that we have suppressed the truth about God and gone our own way. So every time we behold baby Jesus, it is an invitation to be with God to be comforted by him. The birth of Jesus is a sign of rebirth. It's a sign of comfort. And then lastly, it's a sign of victory. 
verses 15 and 16 don't get a lot of run in this passage, but they're, they're really good. Um, let me read it to you again. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land of those two kings you dread will be deserted. And wouldn't you know it, in about 732, Syria was conquered. In 722, Israel was conquered. There, Israel, Judah's enemies were defeated. Now, because of their unbelief, Judah was also conquered as well around 605 to 587 BC. They were taken into captivity in Babylon. It was all from the sin of unbelief, but the prophecy still stood that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that there would be one who would come who would refuse evil and choose good. And that's exactly what Jesus did in his life. Because he was fully God and fully man, every opportunity he had with every person, in every way, at every moment in his life, he refused evil and chose good. Just let that sink in. Every opportunity, every conversation with his parents, every conversation with his friends, every interaction with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the very people that hated him, he always refused evil and chose good. But we never read about him eating curds and honey, do we? We read about him being thirsty, being lonely, being abandoned, being betrayed, being mocked, being beaten, being scorned, and eventually being crucified. Why? to pay the penalty for unbelief. It was through his life, his death, and his resurrection that the penalty for our unbelief could be paid so that we could eat curds and honey with God. So that we could experience the goodness of God even in the midst of our unbelief. Uh, There's a a story about a, a man who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal his son And he says, if you can heal him, please do it. And Jesus says, if? And the man says, wait, 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 wait. I believe, help my unbelief. God, God, Jesus, God is so gracious that even in our unbelief, he graciously came to save us. And even in our unbelief now, he graciously comes to rescue us. And that's the story of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is that God did not come to save you when you believed in him, but in your unbelief. And he came to save you from your unbelief. And so when you behold the baby in the manger, that is a time to say, I believe, hell my unbelief. And that prayer makes Christmas the most exciting day of the year. And that, that prayer makes the gospel story uh, the, the most beautiful story that ever existed. Uh, once, people were criticizing the gospel story as being dull, and Dorothy Sayers said this. So that is the outline of the official story, the talk of the time when God was the underdog and got beaten. When he submitted to the conditions he had laid down and became a man like the men he had made. And the men he had made broke him and killed him. 
This is the dogma we find so dull. This terrifying drama of which God is the victim and hero. If this is dull, then what in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? Friends, when we behold the birth of Jesus this Christmas, that is the most exciting thing in all of the world. That because of him, the power and the presence and the penalty of sin have been broken so that we don't have to be stuck in our sin anymore so that we can be with God and so we can experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's the gospel story that we believe. And just like you, I have to believe it. I had to believe it this week. (laughs) I have to believe it every day, but this, you know, we've, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on at the church. I took on some new responsibilities. We're, we're remodeling our house. And I just feel like anger and frustration welling up. And I'm taking it out on myself and all those people around me. And so I had, to, I had to go for a walk this week with my dog, which is what I do whenever I've got to pray. He's, he always listens, God and the dog. <laughs> and I thought about this pastor and I just said, Lord, I need you to I need you to renew me. I need, I need to be reborn. I need something in me to change. That's the ordinary prayer of the Christian. Lord, I believe the gospel. Help my unbelief. Right now, I'm afraid that you're not going to build your church and build my family and build this home, and that is a lie. Help me believe the truth. That's the truth that, that changes me. That's the truth that we offer people in the gospel. I was listening to a, a pastor talk about Dorothy Sayers and this story, and he said he was overseas and he was sharing the gospel, and he shared the story about Lord Peter Whimsey that I just shared with you. And after he shared it, people come up to him and they said, I want that story to be true. I don't believe the gospel's true, but I want that story to be true. That's the gospel that we hold out to people at Christmas. We want them to see the baby in the manger and say, I want that story to be true. And as the Holy Spirit works, God will do his work in people to change them. Uh, Just yesterday, I was talking to uh, a friend. And this friend was telling me about another friend that they talked to. And and their friend, who they'd known for years, was Mormon. Mormon. But over the last several years, God has been doing a work in that person's life. It started with uh, being around a group of Christians and these Christians inviting her to church. And then it started during the pandemic, and then it continued with her in the pandemic watching uh, this church online. And then after the pandemic stopped, then she started going to the church with the Christians, this practicing Mormon. And she started hearing the gospel of grace, and she said, This is different. This is not what I've heard my entire life. My entire life, since the age of eight, I've been riddled with guilt because of all the rules that the Mormon church has placed on me that I could never keep. And for the first time in my life, I'm hearing about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who kept those rules for me and paid that penalty for me. And now she's becoming a Christian. She's converting from Mormonism to true biblical gospel Christianity because of the incarnation, because of this birth. That's the birth that we behold. That's the birth we believe. That's the birth that saves us. That's the sign.
So let's go to God and let's ask him that he would do this work in our hearts together right now. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that that despite our sin and our unbelief, despite our disobedience, God, you came to rescue us through Jesus. He did everything necessary so that the power of sin could be broken in our lives, so that the presence of sin would be driven out by your presence, and so the penalty of sin would be paid, and Satan's sin, death, and unbelief would be defeated. And so we come to you now, and we ask that you would help us to believe that good news, Father. Where there is fear and unbelief, give us the gift of faith through your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for the ways that we have not believed your gospel this week and how unbelief has led us into disobedience. We thank you that because of Jesus, you can wash us and renew us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would do that now. And we pray that you would help us to live as someone who has been reborn and filled with your spirit. We pray, God, that you would be with us. We pray that you would transform us. And we pray that you'd give us the exciting, wonderful, breathtaking, amazing joy of Christmas, of beholding Jesus and being with you. We pray this in his name. Amen. In the Lord's Supper, God gave us another sign, a sign of his second coming. At Advent, we celebrate his first coming, and we look back at his first coming, In the Lord's Supper, we await his second coming and we look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and the presence of sin will be no more. And so this meal is an invitation. It's an invitation to behold the body and blood of Jesus in faith, looking forward to the day when God's presence will be here with us when the power and penalty of sin will be no more, and we will worship God in spirit and truth face-to-face with him. And that sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's what we celebrate here. This meal is not the meal of grace and peace, and it's not the meal of of our denomination. This is the meal of the Lord Jesus Christ and everyone who has put their faith in him. So if you've beheld him in faith, we ask you to come. And if you've not, We'd ask you to sit and wait and pray and and behold the birth of Jesus and ask God to rebirth you, to renew you, and to fill you with his spirit. And then come and and talk to me about it. And I would love to talk to you about what it means to have this relationship with God. Let's pray together.